following lecture was produced by the Gnostic Academy of Chicago, a nonprofit organization, and is one of many available for podcast, download, and transcription. You can visit chicagonosis.org to find courses, articles, scriptures, commentaries, and other valuable resources that address a wide variety of spiritual subjects, interests, and needs. Through the generous support of listeners like you, the Gnostic Academy of Chicago has produced online courses, lectures, and articles freely available worldwide. If you have benefited from this knowledge, help humanity through making a tax-deductible donation at chicagonosis.org. If you are interested in attending the Gnostic Academy of Chicago in person, you may view our online class schedule and freely register at meetup.com slash chicagonosis. The Chicagoland Gnostic Academy provides humanity with the necessary means for transforming suffering and acquiring personal knowledge of the divine. With this purpose in mind, we now begin the lecture. May all beings be happy. sincere student of Gnosis, of esotericism, studies and understands the nature and functionalism of the mind, primarily with the purpose of controlling its impulses, its habits, its conditioning. We seek to understand the mind so that it can become a useful instrument of our spirit, our innermost God, our divinity. And a real esotericist, an occultist, someone who cultivates the hidden, precisely goes against him or herself, the mind itself, the intellect. The intellect must serve the spirit. It must not be of its own will. It must not act of its own will. And anyone who begins to meditate looks inside to see how the intellect is filled with thoughts, habits, desires, concepts, etc. These qualities are, as the book of Genesis teach, tohu ve bohu, formless and void. For there was darkness upon the face of the deep, which is precisely our psyche. Our psychology is that darkness filled with ignorance, delusion, suffering. So we seek to generate light. Yehivaor va yehiaor. Let there be light, and there was light, as we explain in Arcanum 3, the Empress of the Tarot. So we have to go against ourselves to study ourselves and to wage a very difficult battle against our defects, but more importantly, our uh, instincts, desires, habits, etc., which in these studies we denominate ego, self, I, etc. So the Arcanum 7 teaches us precisely this path of warfare, which the Muslims refer to as jihad, or better said, the Arabic mujahida, which means striving, to strive against, to make effort against oneself. For as the companions asked Prophet Muhammad after the battle of Badr, I believe, they asked him, O Muhammad, what is greater than the lesser holy war, that against others? He said, war against your desires your impulses. 
So the intellect in itself is a useful vehicle that can store information necessary for our development and our potential. But the intellect is merely a machine. It does not know how to do anything except through the impulses or guidance of our ego or our divinity. And so the Arcanum 7 teaches us how to strive, how to fight against our own inner iniquity in order to develop the qualities of the spirit. Precisely, we do that by conquering the mind. And in this image, we see a warrior wielding a sword in his right hand and a staff in his left. And as we've uh, expressly stated in this course, the staff is the spinal medulla, the spinal column, through which the power of the sword, the kundalini power, rises from the chakra muladhara to the brain. Or in Hebrew, we use the, the letter zayin. We talked previously about the letter vav, the spine. But we need to work with zayin as well. Vav is man, zayin is woman. Male, female. Also referring to the two energetic channels that rise from the chakra muladhara to our brain. We have the solar current known as Adam in the Bible. We have the lunar current known as Eve in the Bible. So they represent for us qualities or forces that we need to raise up our spine from sex, the sexual organs, to the brain. We do that in a matrimony specifically as we teach. But individually we can learn to harness those powers and potencies through specific meditations. So this warrior is our own inner being, our own spirit who through the power of the kundalini in his right hand, he dominates his enemies, who are precisely all of the defects we carry inside. Anger, pride, resentment, fear, lust, anger, gluttony, etc. Egotism. Degeneration. So he is our spirit who wants to conquer the mind, to control it, to use it for the purposes of the light, our own inner divinity. He drives in his chariot of war, Two sphinxes, one white, one black, referring to occult masonry. Jaquin Boaz, the pillar of the right, Jaquin, mercy, man. The pillar of the right, black, jo uh, Boaz, severity, woman. So he drives his chariot, which is precisely our body, our vehicles that we also use in dreams as well, in the dream state precisely through his will and by working with those two forces, masculine, feminine. So the body is a chariot, which we have to learn how to channel forces inside so that our divinity can manifest in us, can uh, work through us specifically. The Sphinx also reminds us of our Arcanum Four. We talked about the four elements. The Sphinx is a creature with four elemental qualities. The face of a man representing water. The paws of a lion representing fire. The wings of an eagle representing air. And the tail or the hooves of a bull representing earth. So that spirit must conquer all the elements that we carry inside. Our physical body is the earth. Our mind, with its aerial qualities, is thought, which fluctuates like clouds. According to uh, Padmasambhava in his Buddhist scripture, Tibetan Book of the Dead, we also find that the heart is a fiery quality, igneous quality. We can burn with passion, with emotional sentiment, with anger, or with love. So the fire of the heart is precisely what uh, power we have to control as well. 
and the waters of our energies, our sexuality, our seminal matter, literally, is the waters of life, which we can use to create genesis inside, to generate light through the process of alchemy. So this warrior, our inner spirit, which we explained is chesed in the Kabbalah, he drives his chariot with four pillars in the background, which remind us of the four pillars of Gnosis, which we gave a course previously a few months past. The pillars of science, mysticism, art, philosophy. These are the pillars or traditions through which this knowledge has been taught. And our inner spirit teaches us through these four pillars. These four pillars can also refer to the four lower bodies of our inner psychology, but also the tree of life. To skip ahead to the next image, we find this famous Kabbalistic glyph with its ten spheres or sephiroth. We're speaking about our own inner spirit, chesed, who is the seventh sephiroth from the bottom of the tree of life, referring to the warrior of the Akranam Seven, Triumph, the chariot of war. So we find that the spirit must work through Geburah, his divine consciousness, represented in Hebrew as Zayin, the woman, the feminine soul. He exercises his willpower, Tifereth, as we've explained previously, through Vav, the spine, which is the sixth sephir on the tree of life, but also the sixth Hebrew letter. The four lower bodies are precisely Netzach, which means victory. And interesting, it's interesting that this arcanum relates to victory, to control the mind. Specifically since Netzach is the seventh sephira from the top to the bottom of the tree of life. Whereas Chesed is the seventh sephira from Malkut to the center of the tree of life. But the spirit must learn to control Netzach, the mind, thought, in order to obtain victory, to conquer him or herself. Likewise, we have Hod, the emotional qualities of our heart, the astral body, known as Hod in Kabbalah, glory. Netzach, of course, is the mental vehicle, the mental body. We use these astral and mental mechanical vehicles in dreams. When we travel many places in the dream state, usually without any cognizance of our experiences. But this is what we act in the world of dreams. We have Yasod, our vitality our vital energies, our sexual energy itself, which descends in, in order to manifest within Malkut, our physical body. Yasod means foundation. This is the cubic stone of the Kabbalists, the cubic stone of Yasod, the foundation of our temple. And then Malkut is, of course, the physical body, the earth. So our inner spirit, this warrior who drives his chariot, precisely accomplishes his mission, his goal, by learning to control these vehicles, mind, heart, energy, physicality. We see that above his head there is a sun, reminding us of the god Osiris Ra, which is a symbol of Christ, the Christic energy. And this Christic energy is precisely at the heart of every atom, every molecule, every particle of existence, but also importantly in our sexual energy, our sexual matter, which is the water of Genesis. When husband and wife work with their energies themselves, when they learn to love one another with purity, with divinity, with remembrance of God, 
that energy gives birth to the soul, gives birth to the full manifestation of our potential. This is the meaning of Bereshit, Bara Elohim. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Ah, at hashamayim veyat haretz. So the earth, of course, is our physical body, but also refers to higher vehicles we create in the perfect matrimony. But Genesis is precisely hidden within this act of striving. We talked very abundantly about Bereshit Bara Elohim, that meaning in Genesis in our former lectures. But here, the warrior uh, spirit is the one who must conquer the lower qualities of himself. And what is the purpose of that? The being, our divinity, as we've explained in previous lectures, emerge from that unknowable source known as the absolute. So we can study the tree of life as a map of our consciousness to help explain all the levels of existence, but also our consciousness and materiality. So we've explained some of these lower vehicles previously. But from the absolute, known as Ain, Ain Sof, Ain Sof Or, meaning the limitless, the, uh, the nothingness, the limitless, and the limitless light, emerges our inner Keter, the magician of the Tarot, the first card. From him unfolds Chokmah, which is wisdom. Keter means crown. And then Bina is representative of intelligence, wisdom, understanding cognizance. This is the famous trinity of Christianity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But it is not a reference to physical people in an anthropomorphic sense. It refers specifically to forces in nature, energies, which we carry in our three brains. We have the powers of the Father in the intellectual brain, meaning our center that operates thought. When we use the term brain in esotericism, we mean functionalities of a psychic and physical forces, a machine. So the physical brain is the vehicle of the intellectual brain, which is a way we process thought, ideas, concepts. We also have an emotional brain because we have intelligences related to the heart, sentiments. It's been, it's been uh, explored in science that the heart has certain qualities that can detect uh, or intuit certain things that are very hard to explain by materialistic science such as the capacity of intuition, specifically, to know something without thinking about it. So this is a very profound intelligence that we consciously develop in our studies. And then we have the motor instinctive sexual brain, which is our uh, center of movement, impulse, and desire. Within our sexual organs, the top of our spine, but also the base of our spine as well. The spine is the way that we act with willpower and manifest the will of our inner divinity. So our motor instinctive sexual brain, the way we live is based precisely because of our spine, which is our tree of life, that which gives us life in our body. We cannot exist with it if it were not for our spine. And so the motor instinctive sexual brain relates to the powers of Bina, which is known as the Holy Spirit, which we'll be talking about very extensively today. The image above the son of Ra, the solar logos, the Christ, whose wings of the spirit unfold in us as we work in a matrimony. We see an image of four points which, and an image that looks like a maze. This is a symbol of Netzach, the mind. And anyone who begins to meditate understands that the mind is a maze. It is a labyrinth, which in the Greek myths was symbolized by, I believe, Perseus, 
who sought to kill the Minotaur within the labyrinths of Crete. So that labyrinth is precisely the winding pathways of our intellect, thoughts, ideas, concepts, which in meditation we introspect, we see that we have really a chaos, a disorder, which needs to be organized. That element of error must be dominated by our inner divinity. And we have to go inside of the mind itself to slay the beast, which is our own defects, desires. The minotaur symbolizing our ego. This warrior wears precisely, uh, according to some island viewer, uh, armor. And the armor is the science that defends us against our own inner defects, but also the teachings that help to instruct us how to change, how to become super divine individuals. That armor was represented by Achilles, who is the great warrior who battled at Troy, a symbol of how we as a warrior must go against all of our desires and defects to strive against our own inner iniquity, our hatred, our anger, our fear, our resentment. All those qualities need to die. We have to do it precisely by facing ourselves in meditation and by working as husband and wife, working with Joaquin Boaz, the white sphinx, the black sphinx, the synthesis of those energies, we learn to dominate those elements to become magicians. Those you just talked about, those uh, on the left and the right, those uh, horses or... Uh, Sphinxes. Sphinxes. That's what you're talking about, Ida Pingala, working with the spinal column? Yes, and so, and so the word, yes, and so the word Ida Pingala, or Sanskrit terms for these two energetic serpents that rise up the spine that form the caduceus of mercury. And those energies rise from our chakra muladhara to our brain, as we've explained in previous lectures. But so this magician, this warrior, is precisely our spirit, but also us who needs to fight very hard against our animality, as we've explained previously. We have the Hebrew letter Zayin on the top right, which we'll be talking about at the end of this lecture. Likewise, some astrological symbols relating to Neptune, and to Pisces, which we'll be elaborating at the end. So we explain that the spirit wants to gain knowledge of himself. He descends from the top of the tree of life down into more complicated levels of matter, energy, and perception until reaching finally this body, Malkut, represented in the myth of Pista Sophia, who descends from the 13th aeon, the unknowable divinity, and enters into uh, levels of matter. But the purpose is that the soul must return inward and upward, back to the source, back to the origin, with knowledge. We have in the middle of this image, this glyph, uh, Oros, Osiris, and Isis. So, to talk about seventh arcanum of the Tarot, the law of seven itself, we talk about the meaning or the myth of Horus, Osiris, and Isis. Horus is precisely our inner spirit, Chesed, who we've been talking about extensively. He is Aorus, Aor, the light. For when the book of Genesis states, Yehi Aor, va Yehi Aor, let there be light, and there was light. Aor is precisely our own inner spirit, Chesed, mercy in Kabbalah, to translate directly from Hebrew. Horus is the son of Osiris and Isis. Again, Osiris and Isis is a, refer a reference to 
the polarity of Binah, which is masculine and feminine. This is the Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit is male-female. Or if we look at the original Hebrew language, Jehovah Elohim represents masculine feminine. And as we talk about the creation of Eve at the end of this lecture, we will see that Jehovah Elohim is masculine feminine, male-female, represented by Abba Elohim and Aima Elohim, meaning male-female, father-mother. So it's a mistake of certain Kabbalists to associate Chokmah, Christ, as the father and Binah as Eve, the mother. We find both polarities of Elohim, Jehovah, in Binah. El means God in Hebrew. Eloah means goddess. Elohim means gods and goddesses. And as we've talked previously, when a husband and wife unite sexually, they're a divine Elohim who can generate light inside. El, Eloah, Elohim. They're unified within that act. So Osiris Isis is precisely above, represented the Holy Spirit, the Divine Father and the Divine Mother, whom we can experience in meditation and through the practices of transmutation that we teach. And from that union of father-mother in Binah, through the teachings of Da'at, sexual alchemy, we give birth to our spirit, Aurus. And our own inner spirit, Aurus, is the one who has to fight in us to strive, to go against the grain of our habits. So to talk about uh, this trinity, we say, in relation to the seventh arcanum, Oros has to go against, in the Egyptian mythology, against Seth, who are the red demons who oppose his mission. So going back to the image of the, or picturing the image of the tarot of the seventh arcanum, this spirit has to fight against Seth, a representation of ego, egotism, our own individual defects. So that by destroying those defects, we liberate consciousness, we free consciousness and generate more light. So that all those parts of the soul that have been dispersed in animality and defects can be unified. So that light is pure, individual, integral. That's the meaning of religion, religare, reunion with the divinity. And so Osiris and Isis and Horus precisely want us to work. So the inspiration to want to study spirituality precisely comes from the light that wants us to study some type of knowledge that's going to help him to reunite all the parts of the soul. Or as Moses was accomplishing in the Middle East, to unite all the people of Israel, Isis-Ra-El, all the parts of Isis, the Divine Mother, Ra, the Divine Father, and El, which is Oros. So Moses represents our willpower, as we've taught previously, the spinal column, the sixth letter of Kabbalah. And so Moses was teaching a very profound Egyptian knowledge about how Oros must fight against Seth, all the egos we carry within. Oros. Yes. Yes. Oros is our inner spirit. Who is a spark of light that emanates from Isis Osiris, father, mother. The number seven is interesting because it is the number of battles. And also it is the number of organization in principle. So we have the seven notes of the lyre of Orpheus, the seven chakras of the spinal medulla. We have 
seven colors of the solar prism, seven planets, seven archangels, seven dimensions, seven bodies that we have to elaborate and create, represented by that tree of life on the left. We also have seven serpents of fire, kundalini, rising up those seven bodies. We also have the seven sacred utterances of Jesus on the cross, relating to the lower seven sephiroth of the tree of life. Malkut, Father, forgive them, that they know not what they do. Yesod, I thirst. Hod, Eli, Eli, lama samachani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Netzach, relating to, truly this day, the thief, speaking to the thief, you will be with me in paradise. And then speaking to John and Mary in the Tiferet, Father, uh, Mother, behold thy son, son, behold thy mother. Geburah, relating to it is finished. And of course, Chesed, into thy hands I commend my spirit, because the spirit is Chesed. So the cross, the path of Jesus is represented by Kabbalah. And if we don't study Kabbalah, we can't interpret his teaching. But that's something we'll talk about in future courses, that seven utterances of Christ. But I just want to emphasize to you that the number seven is permeated within all religion and every tradition. It's the law that organizes, which Gurdjieff taught is known as the law of the Hepta Parapashinok. Very interesting language from the internal planes that's used to denominate that law of organization. And so why does seven relate to the law of the spirit, this battle against oneself? Precisely because the spirit wants to organize the psyche. Because if we look inside, as I mentioned to you, we are tohu ve bohu, formless and void. We don't have light. We are ignorant. We lack insight. We suffer a lot and we want to know how to change our problems to solve them. We do that precisely by working with the law of seven, the law of the musical scale. So notice that we have seven notes. And on the right, we have these notes listed in detail in association with different types of human beings. So we can also organize all human beings in accordance with seven categories. Relating to the seven notes, do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, si. So we talked about the three brains, the, int the intellectual brain, the emotional brain, and the brain of movement. Those brains, uh, we tend to use one or another more than the others. We have a dispensation or crutch habits based on our habits that make us use one brain more than another. It's easy to see that some people are more intellectual, some are more emotional, some are more instinctual. So these lower th three types of people, we could say inferior types of people who are not spiritual. They either think too much, they feel too much, or they waste their energy. They're disorganized, they're chaotic. So we have to look in ourselves to see which person am, am I? Am I intellectual more so, or am I more emotional, or do I abuse my energies, my brain of movement, such as people who play sports, emotionally, people who are actors and actresses, and academics who are intellectual. But these types of people don't really have light inside. To be brilliant intellectually does not mean to have divine intelligence. Neither to have strong sentiment does it indicate that one is intuitional or, or divine. And because someone can control the body physically, dominate the senses, such as with fakirism, those austerities that monks or yogis in the, middle, in the East, uh, such as raising one, there's a monk that, or yogi that raised his hand for 10 years and never let it down as a testament of his willpower to show that he could dominate his body. 
to have that type of willpower does not indicate that one is spiritual because we need to learn to use the three brains in balance. And when, when we learn to control our psyche, we work with the fourth type of human being, which is related to the note fa. So the previous notes, do, re, mi. And then there's a shock here in this image, transitioning from the intellectual type of person to the fourth type, which is a human being who is balanced, who has harmonized all three brains, who is in control of his thoughts or her thoughts, feeling, and action. We also have exercises such as the runes in which we face the east and we pronounce certain prayers in a yogic posture. Marvelous forces of love revive my sacred fires so that my consciousness will awaken. We pronounce mantras fa, fe, fi, fo, fu to activate the chakras, working with the seven notes, the seven mantras, to activate our spinal column and those energies. So we find that uh, the rune fa is what it's called. You make yourself in the position of the letter F, the Nordic letter F, which is the basis of many alphabets in the world. We do those type of exercises in order to spark our consciousness. We work with creative energy so that our mind and our psyche become balanced. We awaken our perception. We begin to understand the source of our mental problems, our emotional anguish, and even heal many diseases of the body. Above that, we have an individual who's created a solar astral body, someone who has a vehicle that they created in a matrimony. So most of us go in the astral plane at night. We fall asleep and dream at night that we are traveling in, those, in that dimension. We may have certain memories of experiences, but not really much cognizance. We tend to travel in those dimensions with lunar vehicles, as I've previously mentioned, vehicles that we receive from nature, which is why they're mechanical. They belong to a, they're a type of matter or energy that is egotistical, not divine. So they look like phantoms, very black or dark, um, vaporous, not substantial. But if you meet a master who worked in a matrimony, who's created a solar astral body, they have light. A vehicle is like a light, it's like a light bulb that can transmit the light of divinity, as we mentioned previously. So the solar astral body is a luxury that few people have. Because one has to create that body in a marriage with certain procedures. The solar mental body is likewise a mind, a Christic mind, that knows how to follow the, the, the concepts or understanding of divinity, that does not rationalize, but as brother said, intuitive. Can understand concepts instantaneously without having to deliberate or form a thesis and antithesis. Good, bad, yes, no, mechanical type of thinking. The solar mental body is much more dynamic. Above that, we have a solar causal body, a body of willpower in the world of nirvana. So we have to be born in those higher dimensions to be born again of water and spirit as Jesus taught. So the solar astral body is Hod. The solar mental body is Netzach. The solar causal body is Tifereth, our willpower. The body that a soul that has reached mastery can incarnate and manifest, a very divine body very holy and sacred, made from a marriage, as we've said. So I don't want to go further into detail about this, but the Law of Seven organizes our psyche, our chakras, our bodies, who we are as an individual. We also see that there are seven lower sephiroth on the Tree of Life, and there's a trinity above. So the Law of Seven that organizes emerges from the Law of Three, the Law of Creation, as we've mentioned. 
So as I said to you, the law of seven relates to uh, struggle and battles against the ego, but also against sorcerers and demons who try to, uh, attempt to stop us in our work. And when we talk about the musical scale and how to enter those higher worlds, those higher levels of being, requires a certain effort because nature does not automatically guarantee this process to the cycle of evolution. Many people believe that through evolution we will develop spiritually, mechanically, without any type of willpower. We just go with the flow. But people confuse evolution with the force of devolution, which means to degenerate, to be destroyed. If you have evolution, birth, life, sustenance, growth, you also have destruction, decay, degeneration, devolution. Most human beings are now in a state of devolution, entering to destruction, which is something we want to fight against very hard. Devolution relates to ego, anger, pride, resentment, vanity, all of those elements. So we have to go into a type of revolution to make a war against ourselves. So in order to ascend that musical scale, it requires effort through meditation and practice, learning these exercises that we teach in this tradition so that we learn to maintain the notes of the musical scale. Because you may find that it's difficult to, to practice. We may try to meditate day by day and lose the interest or the impulse, the inspiration to do so. So there's a type of willpower needed, represented by the Hebrew letter Vav, the spine, the sixth arcanum. So we must learn to learn how to fortify our spirit. It may surprise some people to think that we have to empower God. It may sound like a blasphemy. If God is, if the being is the being, why does he need us? Because we are Malkut, the physical body, the soul in the physical body. And we are part of the, divi the divine. We have to cooperate as the head tells the foot to walk, to obey. To act. And so the spirit needs us. We have to do our part so that we can help develop the being inside. So the being is the being and is perfect. But we are part of him and we have to learn to reunite with him or her. This is the meaning of religion, as I said. So the number seven is ordeals, difficulties, challenges, struggles. But it always ends in victory, in success. So to receive the number seven in a dream is very good. Indicates that you're facing certain challenges, but will overcome them. Paul of Tarsus, I believe, stated in uh, 1 Corinthians 10, chapter 10, verse 13, about the nature of temptation and trial, and that you will face certain ordeals, but with victory in the end. But you can trust God, he says. He will not let you be tempted more than you can bear, but when you are tempted, God will also give you a way to escape that temptation. Then you will be able to endure it. So you can refer to our kind of six, as we spoke previously. So the elements I said must be conquered in us. We study five elements. Very famously, we know of alchemical tr uh, tradition, which speaks about fire, air, water, and earth, but also akash. So these elements are known as ether, akash, fire, tejas, air, vayu, water, Apas and earth, Prithvi. These are Sanskrit terms. The Hindus, the yogis of the East, study this science very deeply and use these Sanskrit terms to refer to the energies or modalities of forces within nature which materialize into our physical elements. 
But more importantly for us, these elements are inside. We are composed of water, of fire, of air, of earth, and also, most especially, the synthesis from which that, all of that emerges, akash, the ether. We have different uh, elemental creatures that dwell within the elements themselves, which are studied in certain European traditions and folk, uh, folk tales. You have the, the salamanders of the fire. You have the undines, nereids, mermaids of the waters, very well cited within the, or the sirens mentioned in the book of the Odyssey of Homer. You also have the sylphs and sylphids of the air and the gnomes and pygmies of the earth. So these are elemental creatures or souls that are innocent, that haven't reached the humanoid state yet. They're a process of transmigration. So you can speak to the elementals in your meditations and have a face-to-face -face conversation in the astral plane uh, with plants or animals or elemental creatures themselves. Very innocent beings. They haven't left Eden yet, we can say. But of course, in the Akash, which is the fiery ether, which is permeates all of space, a substance that is divine and which we also carry in the Chakra Muladhara, which we also call Kundalini, or the alchemists call Hazot. So we must learn to work with these elements. We do so by keeping the Sabbath holy. So the Jews practice the Sabbath, the observance on Saturday, to worship divinity through certain rituals and prayers. But if we go deeper, we find that Shabbat relates to Shin Bet. Bet we talked about on Arcanum 2 relates to house, the house that you inhabit. We also talked about the soul of the bodies that we, the soul must learn to create so that God can inhabit us, to manifest in us. Shin, as we said, is fire. So Shabbat is house of fire. So the fire, the fire that we carry in our house, our physical body, is our sexual energy. That fire which enlivens us to, uh, to in, uh, fulfill that act with one's partner. So that fire is the creative energy of the Holy Spirit, the power of Christ, the power of life, or Chaya, as the Jews say, Lachayim, to life, referring to that energy of, of, that can result in procreation or the development of the soul, the spirit. The salamanders are precisely also within our creative fires. And we, learn, we learn to work with these elementals in sexual magic, alchemy. We have the fire within the sexual energy, the salamanders, who help to burn and incinerate our defects, which are like cages or shells which trap our consciousness, which condition us. The undines, mermaids, or nymphs, the nereids, are within our seminal waters. They help to calm the waters of lust to produce the equanimity of the soul. And, uh, of course, the elements interact with one another. The breath are, are mantras that we pronounce in a matrimony, in the sexual act itself, help to harness those fires and transform them, to raise them up the spine. We pronounce sacred sounds between husband and wife in a marriage so as to create energy and awaken the chakras themselves those centers of energy and consciousness that we carry within. And the gnomes and pygmies are precisely those elementals who are within the physical matter of our body, who help to extract that golden sustenance, those golden qualities of virtues, which are within the waters themselves. 
like jewels and gems. To have a dream about pulling out jewels and gems from the waters is very significant. It refers to virtue, truth, and developing the soul. So we work with those elements. Husband and wife must learn to control their breathing and the sexual connection itself so as not to overstimulate too much fire because they will end up getting burned, losing those energies, resulting in the orgasm, which in these studies we avoid. Instead, we learn to conserve that power so that the waters, the fire, the air, and the earth become rejuvenated. Because if you conserve that power and raise it up the spine, it'll be like a fountain that flows to eternal life, according to Jesus. He was uh, with a woman at the well, a, a Samaritan woman. I don't remember what specific verse or chapter it is, but the woman uh, was speaking to Jesus and confessing her, that she was, had slept with many men. And uh, Jesus had said to her, uh, Truly, uh, I can give you a water that will give you eternal life. And she says, what is this water? And he says, seemingly to interrupt her, go, call thy husband. But that's the answer. Call thy husband. You work in a marriage, you can work with those waters of divine love and create the soul. So we work with those elements in synthesis, in harmony. All this is found precisely within our body. The mysteries of alchemy are within us. The mysteries of Kabbalah are inside of us, not outside. The mistake of many people in the past of Europe of trying to find how to transform metal, uh, gold, uh, lead into gold physically is ludicrous because the real meaning is that we transform the lead of our personality into the gold of our spirituality. Yes. And the Gnostic Gospels speak abundantly about this too. So we have a very famous axiom in the Kabbalistic tradition as explained by Samael and Vior, the founder of the modern Gnostic tradition. He says that uh, in relation to this image in alchemical drawing, we have a famous acrostic which relates to the process and science of alchemy, as we're explaining, which are seven letters, Arcanum 7. Vitriol, as we see here, is one of the clues of the Gnostic alchemist. The word signifies visitam interiori teres rectificatur invenius occultum lapidum, meaning visit the interior of the earth, which by rectifying you will find the occult stone. This is from the Revolution of Beelzebub. So we see that uh, this image comes from Viridarium Chimicum. It's an anthology of alchemical art by Daniel Stolz von Stolzenberg. It's from the 1600s. So the images of alchemy were symbolic teachings about how to work practically, which were given in a manner that was undetected by the fanatics, the orthodoxy, so that they wouldn't be persecuted or killed. This image details for us a star of seven points, referring to the seven planets of alchemy, which we'll be talking about. We also find here the three brains represented by the manifestation of corpus anima spiritus, meaning body, soul, spirit. The sign of Saturn in this bottom arrow points towards corpus, referring to the Shabbat, the Sabbath, Saturday, Saturn day, the seventh day, because by working with Saturn, the Holy Spirit, which that planet relates to the Holy Ghost itself, is how we rectify the earth. We transform our earth. We give sustenance to that stone, which is the cubic stone of 
the Masons, but also the sacred Kaaba of the Middle East, the sacred stone of Kabbalah itself. So by working with that acrostic, visit the interior of the earth, which by rectifying you'll find the occult stone, signifies how we in meditation go inside and discover how to use our energies wisely. The stone of Yasod, which is the sexual energy. So going inside, you learn to navigate the darkness of your own chaos, your cavernous mind, your defects, and see that there is an energy that can help liberate you if you learn to use it appropriately. I had this experience in the astral plane many years ago where when I was first studying this knowledge, I was directed by a master near my home in the astral plane to descend into the earth, he told me. So I dove into the earth and my being transported me to the center where I, I entered a cavern with many sepulchers. And of course they were teaching me that you have to descend into your own chaos, your mind, to face all the ugliness that you have inside, all of your defects represented by all the skeletons and bones and ghouls and, and uh, remains that were there. So in that experience, they were telling me the mysteries of vitriol. So by visiting the interior of the earth and by facing yourself in meditation, your defects, you begin to see that really the work of the stone is essential, is our foundation. Daily practice in mantra or transmutation of that sexual energy. We also, uh, in this tradition, talk about the flaming sword. So vitriol, the work of the body, the Shabbat, the Saturday, the seventh day, relates to the mysteries of Zayin, the Hebrew letter of the sword. And so Zayin is a sword of the Kundalini that rises and aids the warrior against himself. Remember that Achilles went to war against uh, the Trojans, or again, a symbol of the ego, the war that we go in, we face inside. And that sword that he, and the armor he wears, of course, protects him. But the sword he uses is that kundalini power to face all of his aggregates, his psychological defects. And remember that when Adam and Eve were expelled from Eden, the angels used the sword of fire to push him out, expel him. So it's a symbol of how any master has that sword developed in their spinal column perfectly and fully. I'd like to relate to you an uh, explanation by a certain al alchemist by the name of Astolzio, who talked about the meaning of this image specifically and about the secrecy of the alchemical tradition that we are now unveiling. That which was enclosed within many forms, now you see it included in one thing. The beginning is our elder, represented by the face of Saturn in the center of this image, the center of the seven-pointed star. And he is the key, or was the key. Remember that we talked about the meaning of the key of alchemy in Arcanum 6. How that key it represents the, the key that we use to unlock the door, dalet, that leads to da'at, sexual knowledge. That's the mysteries of Saturn, the elder. So sulfur with salt and mercury give wealth. Sulfur is the sec sexual fire. Salt is the semen itself. Mercury is the energy that we transmute by certain breathing exercises so as to enliven the brain. So mercury gives you wealth. If you do not see anything here, there is no reason for you to keep searching, for you will be blind even in the midst of light. So many people looked at this image and of course didn't know the meaning of it, have many interpretations, but now we're giving you the explanation of what they were teaching here. 
So alchemically, there are many symbols and images relating to the mysteries of matrimony. Samael and Vior explains in his book, Alchemy and Kabbalah, how the sun is a symbol of the phallus. The moon is a symbol of the uterus. So male, female, together, working with the wind, the breath, as we said previously, the ruach, the spirit of God that hovered over the face of the waters, ruach Elohim, that hovered over the face of the deep that was filled with darkness. In Bereshit, Genesis, we work with the wind and the earth is formed from the void and chaos, which of course represents not only the, the mind, but also those higher vehicles we talked about, the solar bodies. All of these elements, the sun, the moon, fire, water, wind, air, and all the elements emerge from what we call akash. There's all different gradations of energy and matter that manifest physically. So we have to work with the chalice of the mind. We do so by working with our energies. We talked about the caduceus of Mercury, very famous symbol of medicine. How the spinal column is surrounded by two serpents, and those two serpents are precisely Adam, Eve, Vav, Zain, male, female. We raise those energies up the spine so that we can awaken the wings of the spirit, specifically. Let's talk more about the seven planets themselves. There are many correlations that are very interesting and practical, more importantly, to use for our development. So we have the, the seven planets referring to the law of seven, organization. The alchemists did not strictly believe that there were only seven planets. They knew about all the other planets of our solar system. But they talk about seven to teach the law of order, of organization, of all the elements that we have to work with. We have the moon, governed by Gabriel. The metal is silver. We have Mercury, governed by Raphael, which is quicksilver or Mercury as a metal. Venus, Uriel, copper. The sun, Mikael, the, uh, gold. Samael, Mars, iron. Jupiter, Zachariel, tin. And Saturn, or Raphael, lead. The planets relate to metals or materials that we can use to fashion pentagrams. So we have certain talismans we create with the seven metals to help charge them with certain energies to protect us. The seven metals relate to the seven archangels. These metals are like the nervous system of any planet, and those archangels are the intelligences of those planets themselves and govern those, uh, govern those worlds uh, intimately. Practically for us, we also work with the transformation of certain vices and errors into virtues. So we have seven deadly sins, very common in Christianity. We must transform the seven vices into virtues. We must comprehend our defects in order to, make the, in order to destroy them and liberate consciousness so that we develop those uh, divine qualities within. Lunar avarice is turned into altruism, happiness for others. Mercurial laziness is transformed into dil diligence, effort, work ethic, willpower. Venus lust or Venusian lust is transformed into chastity, sexual purity. And as we've explained many times, chastity does not mean sexual abstention. It means purity in sex. We have solar pride, 
which relates or is transformed into humility, humbleness, and faith in divinity. Martian anger is transformed into divine love, conscious love, sweetness, empathy, compassion. Jupiterian envy is transformed into philanthropy, work for others, sacrifice for others. And uh, Saturnian gluttony is transformed into temperance, moderation in diet. So we have to look inside and examine what do we carry within? What are our defects? So that we can learn to develop the virtues that relate to their opposite. These uh, seven planets also relate to Kabbalistic symbols, which we won't go into too much detail, but if you want to explore this a little bit further, you can uh, access this material on our website. We will say that uh, these symbols have profound meaning. I'll mention a few. With Mercury, we have the caduceus, as we've been explaining. The spinal column with the two serpents and the wings of the spirit, which, which flourish when we raise the mercury of our seminal energy to our brain. The synocephalus is a creature with the head of a dog, which, of course, is a symbol of uh, the sexual instinct. The dog, in a internal language or symbology, refers to the sexual energy, which is why we have myths such as Cerberus, who would allow people to enter into the hell realms, but if they wanted to escape, he would fight against them. That's the nature of lust, sexual desire. It'll coax you into wanting to enjoy the delights of ple pleasures of sex, but if you try to transform lust, it fights against you. It's an animal. So these symbols are very profound. Venus relates to the, ling the sexual lingam, um, Related to the sun, the serpent with a lion's head. We talk abundantly about the serpent. And the lion is a symbol of the solar divinities. The, the lion of Judah, specifically. Let's talk about Zain. So Zayin is precisely the feminine sexual energy, which is the spiritual soul known as Neshama. We talked about three types of souls previously. Nefesh, Ruach, Neshama. Nefesh is animal soul. Ruach is the blaming or introspective soul. Neshama is the spiritual divine soul. So we are Nefesh, we are animalistic with our habits, our defects, our desires. We work with Ruach, which is the spirit, uh, spiritual forces in us, in order to uh, control Nefesh. Ruach is known as thinking, emotional soul. The consciousness, our conscience, that tells us this is right, this is wrong. I should do this, I should not do this. But of course, we are helped by Neshama, which is precisely known as the Kundalini power. And in the spirit of this course, we've been talking about excerpts from the Hebrew gospel, uh, the Hebrew uh, teachings, specifically the Psalms, which in this verses 49 through 56 all begin with the letter Zayin. Previous verses also begin with Aleph, some with Bet, some with Gimel, Dalet, He, Vav, and now we're in Zayin from the Psalms of David. Remember the word to your Lord's servants on which you make me hope. It is my comfort in my affliction. For your word has given me life. So what is this affliction? Is precisely Arcanum 7. Battles against the ego, against our defects. Your word has given me life. Chaya. And the proud have scorned me utterly. I have not turned away from your law. 
your teaching, your Torah, your Tarot, the Arcanum or the Arcana. I remember your judgments of old, O Yotchava, Jehovah, and I take comfort. Hot zeal has seized me because of the wicked forsaking your law. Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my pilgrimages, the house of Bet. O Yotchava, I have remembered your name in the night and I have kept your law. This was done to me because I kept your commandments. All this relates to Arcanum 7, war against the ego and against the Black Lodge, which is that organization of demons who seek to divert students from Christ, the solar path. So you are my comfort in my, it is my comfort in my affliction. Your word has given me life. The word for life, I'm sorry, the word, the word means, comes from dabar, speech, the logos. It says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. This is a symbol of a representation of uh, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So Zion begins all these verses. It's interesting that hot zeal has seized me because of the wicked forsaking your law. Meaning, not fanaticism for one's religion, but concern and dis uh, really, in a sense, despair when seeing how degenerate humanity is and, want, and the desire to change it, the longing to change it. And the works of the wicked, the black magicians who seek to uh, pursue one from entering the path, from pursuing the path. So the Hebrew letter Zayin is precisely the kundalini power itself, which we have to raise from the sexual organs to the brain, so as to be crowned. And as we'll see in our excerpt from the Zohar, Arcanum 7 relates intimately to crowning, as we see in this image, or both images. On the left, we have William Blake's creation of Eve, Zayin, the feminine sexual power, the kundalini force, arising from the androgynous Adam, or Adam Yodhava, who is a representation uh, of, many, of many things. There are many levels to read and interpret the Genesis it's not literally a history, but also a psychological, alchemical, Kabbalistic teaching. In the past, there was a race known as Lemurians. There were ancient humanity that existed many ages before ours, physically. That race was androgynous. And the Bible depicts and explains how the sexes split over the process of many millennia in order to aid those souls to developing their, their mind, their brain, and also the sexual organs and those respective sexes so as to help generate more power. So when then they, they would reunite as male-female, they would have uh, certain qualities that they could develop further that they couldn't as being androgynous. That's one level of meaning. But Genesis also talks about how we, have, we as a, whether as a man, we need a wife, and if a woman, a husband. Because as above, so below. As we talked about the Holy Spirit being male-female, to unite with that, we need male-female, both forces. So I'll read for you a few excerpts from Genesis, and we'll talk about some of the Kabbalistic meaning of this. How Zayin, the kundalini force, emerges within husband and wife, a matrimony. And Jehovah Elohim said, It is not good that Adam should be without help, in order to, basically, so that he could obtain knowledge of himself. Adam can also represent the brain, as I mentioned previously. Chava can also represent the sexual organs. 
Adam, Eve, brain, sex. So Eve is the sexual organs, whether in a man or a woman. That's one level to interpret it. Because Adam has to control Eve. So those millennia of patriarchal discourse that derog uh, uh, derides woman as being the inferior in the household is wrong because they interpret literally that Adam has to control Eve. But the meaning is that Adam, the mind, has to control sex. Instinct. So Jehovah Elohim said, it's not good that Adam, the brain, should be without help. I will make Chava Eve for him, the female sex, a help meet for him so that he can enliven his brain in order to provide it with the sexual energy. And Adam Yod Chava Elohim, or better said, and Yod Chava Elohim caused a deep sleep to fall upon the androgynous Adam, or Adam Yod Chava, the former human being that was male-female. And he slept, and he took Chava, Eve, from one of his ribs, and closed up the flesh thereof. And the rib which, was, which Yod Chava had taken from Adam and made into woman, and the Hebrew word for woman is Isha. And so he brought woman unto Adam. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and shall be called woman, because, she was taken, uh, because out of man she was taken from. It sounds very derogatory to say it when he's referring to his wife, this is now bone of my bones. This, that's the literal translation. But there's more deep meaning to this. The Hebrew letter is Zot, Zayin, Aleph, Tav. This shall be called Isha. Better said, we look at the Hebrew. Adam said, Zot is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Zot shall be called Isha because Hazot was taken out of Ish. This is the literal meaning of the Hebrew. Ish is fire. That's a masculine energy. Isha is feminine fire. Because if you look at the Hebrew letters, uh, Aleph, again, is the wind, the breath. If you look at Ish for man, Aleph, Yod, Shin. Aleph is the wind, the breath, the prana, the spirit, we talked about in Arcanum 1. Yod is a dot representing the ovum or sperm of a, of a man or woman. In this case, it's, a, it's the sperm itself. Shin, as I said, is fire. With woman, it's Aleph, Shin, He. Again, the breath, the fire, and He, which is the, the yoni, the feminine sexual organs. So, man, woman, two fires were developed in that ancient epoch of Lemuria, a masculine fire and a feminine fire. But likewise, in our, in our psyche, we have a masculine energy and a feminine energy within the two serpents, Vav Zayin, the two uh, channels called Ida Pingala, the solar and lunar currents of energy. But Adam said, this is not bone of my bones. Hazot, or better said, Zot is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called Hazot because she was taken from out of man. Again, what is that power that's taken out of the fire? Of sexual, of sexual magic is the kundalini. Hazot, alchemically speaking, is a term we use or the alchemists have used to describe that kundalini power. As Samael and Vera states, the four elements are, of alchemy are salt, mercury, sulfur, and azot. The salt is the physical matter of the sperm. The mercury is the enseminus, the energy that we extract from it. And azot is the mysterious ray of kundalini. So the sword is precisely that power that we awaken in a marriage. 
and that's through Isha, and I, I, so you have Ish and Isha, man, woman. Together they become Ishim. One of our prayers in the Nostra tradition is Ishim, assist me in the name of Shaddai el Khai. Meaning the fires of man and woman help defend me through the power of Shaddai. And we talked in our Kanam 2 is that, or in our Kanam 4, excuse me, uh, Shaddai el Khai is the sacred name of God in Yasod, the sexual energy itself, the power of Almighty God itself. So I have other things to talk about. Uh, I want to re re refer to you to the Zohar, specifically. But the thing to remember is that we have to keep the Sabbath holy, the body holy. The fires of our body are bet by practicing the mysteries of Saturn, which when we work with a marriage, Zayin, we become initiated into the higher dimensions. As we see that Neshama in this image on the right of a woman knighting the hero, the warrior, the soul. We have here Geburah Tifereth. Geburah, the divine soul, the feminine soul, represented in the Kabbalah on the middle trinity of the tree of life. Likewise, we have Tifereth, the human soul, who is really our willpower of which we are a fraction at this point that must develop in order to enter into the path of initiation. So she is the one who knights the hero, who crowns him, who glorifies him for the struggles that he faces against lust and temptation. This is represented in the book of Genesis by the temptation of Adam and Eve. So I won't go into, we'll give some courses about, explicitly about that scripture. But in synthesis, we find that Chava was tempted by the serpent. People think it was literally the woman, that was, um, there was a literal man and woman in a garden in Mesopotamia that ate an apple from a tree and everything went bad. That type of reading is very superficial and very funny. But the meaning is much more deep. It's profound. Chava is sex the sexual organs. Mother of the living. Adam is your brain. The serpent that is the most subtle in the field is precisely the sexual energy because the word for field is Shaddeh, which is where you get the word Shaddai, Almighty, Living God. Shaddai el Chai, the Almighty Living God. The power of life that God creates through any initiate is sex. And the serpent is that power that when, between husband and wife tempts husband and wife, whether to control the serpent, raise it up the spine, or to be bitten by the serpent by eating the forbidden fruit, which is the orgasm, to waste that energy to expel it. Because when you expel the powers of Eden, which in Hebrew means bliss, voluptuousness, you cast yourself out. So Adam and Eve didn't get kicked out of Eden. They kicked themselves out. And we do this every day whenever someone engages in lust. So that's a very, very simple way to look at it. But uh, Adam and Eve are precisely brain sex. Be wisest. Be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Be wise 
as the kundalini power to raise it up the spine but be innocent as a dove be chaste be humble don't engage in the sexual act as an animal because you must sanctify the sabbath the body shin bet a house of fire to be innocent as a dove is precisely to not cause harm and we harm ourselves when we uh, ejaculate the energy we get burned that's where we get the word furnace fornication Thou shalt not commit fornication, the sixth arcanum of the Tarot. But uh, let's talk about the Zohar. The original sin that originates all our defects is lust. Because when you eat that, you consume the sec- uh, consummate the sexual act with expelling the energy, you get kicked out of Eden. Because that energy is what gives a husband and wife bliss beauty, harmony. And so we have to control the serpent because to go, when it's withheld and transformed because to be abstinent is, doesn't help. You have to learn to circulate the energy which we do through certain exercises. But husband and wife have that dilemma when they, whenever they connect sexually if they know this teaching is to spill or not to spill. To be chaste, harmless as a dove and wise as a serpent or not. Because you see that in the myth Humanity was expelled, and Adam and Eve represent all of humanity who were expelled from that primordial bliss. So the original sin, of course, is lust, desire. And so by conquering lust, desire, we are crowned, initiated into a higher way of life, represented by Neshama knighting the, the, the hero. And to talk about the meaning of Zayin more in depth, I'd like to read for you in synthesis, some teachings from the Zohar, which help to explain these principles very well. Rabbi Shimeon opened, I have put my words in your mouth, Isaiah chapter 51, 16, verse 16. How vital it is for a human being to engage in Torah day and night. For the Blessed Holy One listens to the voice of those who occupy themselves with Torah, and every word innovated in Torah by one engaged in Torah fashions one heaven. They explain elsewhere that to work with Torah is to work with water. Genesis, which we find in this section of Bereshit, an explanation of the opening verse of the book of Genesis, talks about how to work with the creative waters of sex. So, what does it mean to engage in Torah day and night? Such as people literally read and think it means to read from the Old Testament. But to engage in Torah is to practice it, its principles. So such as through certain exercises we practice, runes, meditation, mantras, pranayama, sacred exercises of rejuvenation, etc. We occupy ourselves in the day and at night when we are, if we, when we are married, we work with, as husband and wife in the darkness. Because from the darkness emerges light. Is how you create the solar bodies, the solar vehicles in a marriage. So those who innovate Torah, every word innovated by one engaged in Torah, the law, the great arcanum, sexual magic, fashions one heaven. You create the heavens in yourself precisely through working with that sacred arcanum. We have learned the moment a new word of Torah originates from the mouth of a human being, that word ascends and presents its herself before the blessed Holy One who lifts that word, kisses her, and adorns her with 70 crowns, engraved and inscribed. 
So someone who innovates a new word of Torah, meaning to mantralize, to pray, to speak, to connect with divinity in meditation, that prayer, that mantra is acknowledged by divinity and is empowered. As I said to you previously, we have to empower our being. We have to work with certain exercises so that we help our divinity manifest in us, inside. So this word ascends and presents herself before the Blessed Holy One. And again, the, the word is sexual, that the Lord kisses that word. So when husband and wife are united and they're pronouncing sacred mantras in this sexual act, their mantras are empowered because the sexual energy relates to dot. And a dot, as we explained, is sexual magic, alchemy, knowledge, relates to the throat. The womb is the, th the, the throat is the womb of the, or the uterus of the verb. In the beginning was the word, the word is with God, the word was God. Bereshit means when husband and wife unite, they create the heavens within themselves. So we have to lift that word up in alchemy so that he can adorn her with 70 crowns, engraved and inscribed. So 70 crowns relates to initiation, seven initiations of fire mentioned in the perfect matrimony. That sword that the woman is knighting this man with is precisely Zayin, the seventh letter. So we have to face seven initiations of fire, which are engraved and inscribed. And as I mentioned to you in Arkadam 2, we have to inscribe in the stone of Yasod our energies, this work. We have to perfect them, chisel them, so that that perfect stone is, uh, is the foundation of our temple. So an innovated, or but an innovated word of wisdom ascends and settles on the head of Tzadik, the righteous one, vitality of the wor worlds. So by working with chastity is how we ascend and enter the, and become Tzadikim, the righteous ones, holy ones, holy beings. And that is the vitality of the worlds, referring to Yesod, the creative energies. From there it flies and soars through 70,000 worlds, ascending to the Ancient of Days. 70,000 refers to the seven lower sephiroth of the tree of life, ascending up towards the top trinity to the sphere known as Keter, which is the Ancient of Days, our Father who is in heaven. So our mantras help to ascend and reach influence from that sephiroth itself, or sephira itself. All the worlds of the Ancient of Days are worlds of words of wisdom, conveying supernal concealed mysteries. When that secret word of wisdom innovated here between husband and wife in alchemy ascends, it joins those words of the Ancient of Days. Along with them, it ascends and descends, entering 18 hidden worlds, which no eye has seen, O God, but you. Isaiah chapter 64, verse 3. So what are these 18 hidden, world, 18, 18, uh, hidden worlds? We have nine heavens above Malkut, and we also have nine hells below Malkut. So this is the 18 heaven, uh, better said, 18, uh, 18 worlds. Nine heavens, nine hells. Emerging from there, they roam until they arrive, full of incomplete, presenting themselves before the Ancient of Days. At that moment, the Ancient of Days inhales the aroma of that word and it pleases him more than anything. So what is that aroma that divinity is most pleased with? Is chastity, sexual purity when husband and wife know how to connect but not to waste the energies themselves. He inhales, the divine inhales that aroma. And of course, perfume in the ancient temples was very symbolic of working with chastity itself. Lifting that word, he adorns her with 370,000 crowns. 
the word flies ascending and descending and it's transforming into a heaven. Because when the husband and wife are mantralizing in alchemy, they give birth to the heavens inside themselves, the virtues of the soul. So each and every word of wisdom is transformed into a heaven, existing enduringly in the presence of the Ancient of Days. He calls them new heavens, new created heavens, hidden mysteries of supernal wisdom. As for all the other innovative words of Torah, they stand before the Blessed Holy One, then ascend and are transformed into earths of the living, from Psalms chapter 116, verse 9. So what are these earths of the living? It's precisely the solar vehicles we talk about. Solar astral body, solar mental body, solar causal body. Vehicles that we can give birth to so that God can inhabit our house, our psyche. So that is what is it, that's what it means to be a living being. Adam was made into an afesh chaya, a living soul, because the spirit of Elohim, Jehovah Elohim, entered into him. People think it refers to just some physical man being created from the dust. But it's a symbol of how we create the soul, perfected inside. That is a, that's what it means to be an earth of the living. Then they descend, crowning themselves upon one earth, one initiation, we can say, of fire, depending on the sephiroth, which is renewed and transformed into a new earth through that renewed word of Torah. So the earth is a new earth. Your body ceases to become sick, filled with diseases, old, or with problems because we regenerate through the power of Chaya, the Holy Spirit, in order to be healed. And when a husband and wife learn to practice alchemy, they conserve their vitality for decades. They become young, healthy. So concerning this is written, as the new heavens and the new earth that I am making endure before me, Isaiah chapter 66, verse 22. The verse does not read, I have made, but rather I am making, for he continues to make them, or he makes them continually out of the, those innovations and mysteries of Torah. I have made, you could say, relates to Eheye. I am that I am. Eheye asher Eheye. I will become who I will become. I will be within the soul who learns how to be. So Eheye asher Eheye. I am that I am. Is the acrostic there. I have made or I will make. That divinity will make the soul within us if we cooperate. If we work with our zayin and our vav our spine and the sexual power of Kundalini. So, of this is written, I have put my words in your mouth and covered you with the shadow of my hand to plant heavens and establish earth. Isaiah chapter 51, verse 16. The verse does not read the heavens, but rather heavens, plural. So, there's an alchemical teaching here that's very profound because when we work with a husband and wife, and work with sacred sounds, we are initiated, we are crowned when we learn to create the soul and eliminate defects. And to conclude this lecture, I'll mention to you an experience that I had that helps to clarify some of the principles of Arcanum 7 with the Zohar. So I mentioned to you that Arcanum 7 is struggle, ordeals, battles that you have to face against your own desires, but also against the influences of uh, witches and sorcerers. So I remember many years ago, I had the experience where my inner, I overcame a certain ordeal in the astral plane. And my spirit showed me an instructional video, and he was teaching me about Arcanum 7 and about certain people who enter these types of studies. 
he said that out of 70% of those who masturbate, uh, 5% of them have gender problems. Of course, it's not a literal statistic, something symbolic. Akanam 7 means people who are learning to strive against their defects. Those who, who enter these studies but still struggle with the vice of masturbation. Five, out of karma, Akanam 5, many of them will develop gender problems, meaning that's how you become homosexual. That's how you lose your sexual attraction is by copulating with one's own sexual organs, copulating with the same sex. And masturbation we strictly speak against. Really the word is from the Latin manus stuprare, coming from manus hand and stuprare meaning defilement. And as the book of Leviticus teaches us, uh, you, if you have an emission of semen, you must bathe yourself in water and be unclean until even. Evening, Laila, you have to face the demon Lilith, your own lust in those infernal dimensions. And until you are clean of that element, you will continue to have that desire for masturbation or lust. Stupare also means not only defilement, but dishonor, to be dishonored by one's own hand. Likewise, stupere, which means to be stupid. So we said that the power of the Holy Spirit, intelligence, bina, gives one divine cognizance it illuminates the brain but if we expel the semen then we're uh, impoverishing our brain the brain languages for want of that energy there are many people who many demons with very sharp intellects they develop the intellect in that way but it it's really in a spiritual sense very stupid because that's intelligence within hell not in heaven so we have to learn to overcome those habits and so my being was teaching me in order to teach other people that out of 70 70 percent of those who are Masturbators, 5% become homosexual, become gay. And by this we don't speak with hatred towards gays, but we're pointing out that if you want to create spiritually, you need a husband and wife, both polarities, you need them both. And so uh, in this experience, later I was warned, I intuitively knew that I was going to be attacked. So I was walking up to my bedroom and it was very dark. It was around 4 in the morning in the astral plane. And I sensed that there were some sorcerers outside my window who wanted to get in, who were about to attack me. And so in that moment, I grabbed my solar plexus and I reached out my hand and started reciting Conjuration of the uh, Four. Caput mortum impede tibi dominus pavivum devotum servantem. Kerub impede tibi dominus pradam yot chava. Which is our prayers that we pronounce in Latin to reject negative forces. So this is a big battle that happened in the astral plane. But I was helped. Where when I was conjuring these seven or twelve men that were coming into my my home, I don't know how many there were that in in detail, but there were many. So my being was giving me power to reject those demons because I was overcoming certain ordeals. That's why divinity helped me to fight back. And there were bombs and explosions going on as a result of the conjurations that my being was using through me to reject these these entities. So it was a very violent experience. And afterward, I remember I returned to my bedroom and my being was there, kept crowning me with laurels. So going back to the Zohar, it says you'll be crowned with 370 crowns. So over, overcoming those ordeals against the black magicians, you get uh, adulated. The being praises you, but I don't take credit because only the being is powerful. So 370 crowns. 
oh, again and again and again and again. So I was being knighted. So it was a, something that you would experience when you learn to first be chased, and then as you're working in yourself, then the demons will come after you. Because if you are fornicating, then they, they, they say, well, you're, you're just one of us, so it doesn't matter. So again, we're referring back to the Zohar. They quoted Isaiah chapter 51, verse 16. I have put my words in your mouth. The word of Jehovah says, I put my words in your mouth. So God was speaking through me and I was really was fighting these, these entities, rejecting them. So again, the Arcanum 7 relates to the 370,000 crowns. 3 relates to the Trinity, the power of the Holy Ghost. The three-pointed trident of Neptune, which is the power of the waters. And seven, of course, relates to the ordeals and battles we have to face against uh, the Black Lodge. So to conclude this lecture, we'll give you a few practices you can use so that you can develop your potential. We have the seven vowels that we use in our runic exercises, which are the vowel E, E, O, U, A, M, S, I, E, O, U, M, S. So with the mantras, you prolong the vowels so that you awaken the chakras of the seven uh, centers in the spinal column. The vowel E, excuse me, relates to the chakra of the crown and the third eye. The vowel E relates to the throat, the chakra of the, or to give you the names, uh, Laodicea, or oops, better said, uh, chakra Sahasrara in the crown, chakra Ajna in the middle, third, uh, third eye, the chakra... Um, Vishuddha in the throat, the vowel E. The vowel O relating to intuition, the heart, relates to uh, the chakra Anahata. You have the chakra Manipura in the solar plexus, the vowel U. And the vowel M relating to this uh, prostate or the uterus in a woman, the vowel M. And the vowel S, the sexual fire, relates to this, the base of the spine, the chakra Muladhara. So you can pronounce those seven vowels. E, E, O, U, A, So those are the seven vowels you can pronounce when you, before you meditate so that you awaken the powers of the seven chakras themselves because those mantras help to awaken those centers. You can also pray the Pater Noster very deeply and with a lot of cognizance. So this is a prayer that many people recite, and it's a beautiful prayer. But it's more important to do it consciously in the meditation. Samael and Vior states that we should pronounce these, uh, these seven petitions of the, our Father in, um, for, for an hour long. So it should be very deep and prolonged, very concentrated. Seven verses. One, our Father who art in heaven. Two, hallowed be thy name. Three, thy kingdom come. Four, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Five, give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses. Six, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Seven, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from all evil. And you'd also say, and thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Or you can do the Latin even more powerful. Pater noster quia sincerius sanctificetur nomen tuum. Latin as a, as a mantric language is very powerful. You can invoke very divine forces that way. So you can pray that for an hour long if you want. Have any questions?
point of view. So you, while you're doing pranayama, you, uh, how should I say, would it at the same time, can you pronounce the mantram together with pranayama? Certain, pran certain pranayamas are, are you know, structured that way, like uh, Egyptian Christic pranayama in the book, Yellow, the Yellow Book, that Samael and wrote. Certain mantras that you pronounce mentally when you're inhaling the air through the nostrils. Ton, to the, inhaling through the left nostril, you close your right with your thumb. Inhale through the left nostril. Inhale. Mentally pronounce the mantra, ton. Mentally. Mentally. Hold both nostrils closed. Send the prana down, the energy to your cossacks. Do the mantra, uh, sa. Exhale through the right nostril. And... Uh, pronounce the mantra hum and you can read more about the specifics of that you inhale again through the right nostril ton close your nostrils and pronounce the mantra ra as you send the, pr the energy down in the cossacks and then exhale through the left nostril hum i thought it was just alternating uh, going back and forth you mentioned it now about holding both nostrils yes because when you do the pranayama you inhale the energy you hold it the 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 retention is very important because when you inhale you're sending the energy into your body you close the nostrils and then you mentally pronounce that mantra, ra or or sa or ra, depending on which current you're working with. While you're holding it? Or While you're holding it. So, ton, inhale. Hold, sa. Send the energy down to the cossacks while mentally pronouncing the mantra, sa. Exhale to the right nostril, hum, as you mentally pronounce that. And then inhale, ton, ra, hum. Yes. So pranayama is very excellent for transmuting energy, which we'll be doing. We'll be giving a lecture about that too. Any other questions? Um, why do you think um, symbolic, <coughs> like numbers and, and um, symbols and allegory is used throughout all these ancient texts instead of just coming out and just saying? I mean, are we here? Is this like a, a like? Are we here to just figure like? Well, divinity speaks in the language of parables. Like I gave you that experience. He said 70% of those who masturbate, 5% become, have gender problems. So he wasn't giving a literal statistic, but symbolic. So the symbolism there, God speaks in symbols because you can get a lot more accomplished that way rather than talking plain English. Um, in past ages, those scriptures that were given were given in that language for those initiates who already knew the science, who could interpret it correctly. And those who didn't know, who were degenerate, would just be lost in the in the wayside, like that image of the visit uh, videarium chemicum. That I I can't remember the name of that, but it was the alchemical image I showed you previously of the seven-pointed star, and where the man said, El, El Soltio said, if you don't know what this any of this means, it doesn't even matter, is what he was saying at that time. But the thing is, uh, now that we're in a different age, now we're in the age of Aquarius. The age of the dissemination of knowledge. Yeah. So this knowledge teaching has to be made explicit for people to benefit because the White Lodge is opening the doors and saying, you know, there's really not much time for humanity, but we want to help. Yeah, the, the word apocalypse actually means the unveiling of truth in Greek. And we face our own inner apocalypse through going through our count of seven. So like that experience I gave you, you have to fight against yourself because in that experience in the dream, I, I had to overcome certain ordeals in the astral plane. And that's why divinity, my being, my spirit came to me and says, here's an experience to teach you more. And then you got to fight against the demons who are against you to try to stop you from, from changing. So, 
old teach what you're teaching is that done on uh, do they just not know or, or in most cases they don't know There's a lot. Well, there's a lot of ignorance, but there's, there are many. There are people who are trying to cause a lot of confusion intentionally. And then, as far as symbols, like if you notice, like uh, you know, I've learned this in the past, uh, like the symbol for the um, for the money symbol. Are they mocking? Uh, you know, because the money symbol is the, the snake and the pillar. Are they mo- and same with the number seven? They put it in casinos. Are they mocking this, the, the dark occultists? They know there's knowledge. Are they saying, oh, we're going to, you know, and they use the word ISIS, you know, for, you know, different factions of, uh, you, know, you know, in the Middle East and all that. There's a, lot of, all there's a lot of correlation that goes, that's going on. Um, the bl- number of the, uh, Samael in Vior says that the number of the Black Lodge is 777, which you add those numbers together, you get 21, or count of 21, which is the, the fool of the tarot. We call it transmutation, but also it's the fool who is walking over a, an alligator in the card who is being threatened to be swallowed. So that's his own lust and his own defects threatening to devour him in the abyss. So the fool allows, and the Hebrew letter associated with the, the fool is shin, fire. So a fool of the tarot is one who gets burned by lust, symbolized by the bohemian or the la boheme by Puccini. So the in that opera, Puccini was teaching how with this, these, there was these poor artists who were in the cold freezing in wintertime in Paris or wherever they were. And they said, oh, let's get a few moments of warmth by he, this meant what it was that um, Rodolfo was working on a, a poem that he composed for many hours. And they said, let's, let's, let's burn it for a few moments so we can stay warm. So this is the, the idiot who takes his livelihood and is burning it away. That's a symbol of how we kill ourselves with lust. Through shin, you get burned become a, a fool, a bohemian. So in the end, if you watch that opera, it doesn't have a good ending. People love it. It's a beautiful opera, but they don't see the, the tremendous warning that it has for individuals. And we'll watch that opera here too and talk about it. It's very, very beautiful. Most people aren't aware of the occult implications of these operas. Well, so we'll be giving, we'll be watching them. We'll be watching those here and talking about them. But Puccini was a Freemason. We could, say, we could say it's a s- semantic thing, really. You know, we say technically desire is ego because desire says, I want, I crave, I want this, I want to have this. But many poets like Rumi use the word, they, when they translate from Arabic, they use desire or love, muhaba in Arabic, which is where you go with the word for chaba or you can get words for water, correlation between love and water specifically. But um, desire is egotism in strict technical language. But there's many people who say, I desire, I long to know divinity. So longing, we, we change the words. We say longing, yearning as a conscious quality. But strictly speaking, desire is when you say that I really want something, I need this, I, I want this. Ego is desire. If you're talking about, you mentioned this right or wrong desire. That's, that's how it breaks down. Yeah, well, the real, um, you could say a, better desire is longing you long in your soul to change that's a yearning or aspiration in the heart it's a very divine quality we need that that's how you uh, work with your zayin is face the temptations and yearn to change to keep your sabbath holy so all of those teachings don't bring you out of 
exactly that that is not true, that it's not accurate? Well, this, they can get what they want, for sure. But usually doing what the ego, Beta said, you know, what I want, what I desire, we call it egotism. What I want is, or what my ego wants is negative. So I try to go, I go against my, my soul. I try to go against my own defects, my desires. To say that I want this, I want that, and then I'm going to do this practice to get what I want, uh, we, we say is negative. We should instead work for other people. Let's help others with what they want. Let's help us instead of I, me, myself. Because we have a lot of ego in these times. So those teachings that say I am, you know, I was a Joel Olstein or a few other people says become a be- become a become a better you. Well, I I'm sorry, Joel. I have to politely disagree. I mean, he says I am only can be said by divinity. Hey, yeah. the being says I am that I am. We are not the being. We're just the soul who has to work. So I am not because my being is, and I am filled with ego. Therefore, I am not. But when I died, all my desires. Then it's not what I want, but the being will be manifest in me. So it's a, I wouldn't say get lost in the language, but um, you know, those teachings that say to get what you want is really marketing to our desires, our defects. So become a better you, meaning, well, you can't get better, meaning your egotism cannot get any better. You have to eliminate that. So if you, if you as a soul want to be purified, be content with becoming nothing so that your being can manifest in you fully. That's the teachings of the Sufis. Mm-hmm. Sufis teach you that you must fulfill fana, annihilation of the ego, so that you can have baka, subsistence in God. You cannot have, you cannot be in God if you are filled with ego. If you say, if you have desires that say, "I want this, I want that." It's interesting you say that because Rumi Steiner says when you're doing that kind of emptying yourself, you already got your ego. You're creating a space for the divine force to come into you. Great, because Zamael and Vior says God searches the nothingness in order to fill it. So your mind has to be empty so that the plenitude of divinity can manifest. And then there won't be you anymore. There will only be him. And that's really the, the beauty and the bliss that we seek. So if you use it in, in the context of, for example, in meditation, saying, I am blessed, I am full, I am content, is that also wrong? Well, uh... We have certain prayers that we use that are similar to that, except we say, we are strong, we are rich, we are full of luck and harmony. Because somebody else, our teacher says, I, I has little for us, but we has a lot. So you get more power that way. We is a universal consciousness. We are strong, we are rich, we are full of luck and harmony. So that principle is, is the same. It's the same thing. You know, you're, you're seeking to empower your consciousness. But one is I, myself, but another is we. And, to consider others is really the highest form of consciousness we can have. So that's an exercise you can look at in a, a book so called... Should we, should we try not to, in conversation, try not to say I, someone... Oh, no, you don't want to be unnatural. Because you, you don't want to be unnatural. You just say, you know, yeah, I, I feel this, I feel that. But when you interact with people and you're working with your, uh, your meditations and you're working on your ego, you learn to see other people's minds very clearly. And you learn to see how you interact with people. More importantly, you see how you interact with other people. And you find that there's a struggle there because you'll find that certain thoughts want to emerge to say something at the time which you can sense are wrong. Therefore, you're working with Arcanum 7. You're struggling against the negativity. So you have to observe in yourself what elements are pushing you to act in certain ways. And when you see the, 
when you sense that intuitively this is right, this is wrong, then you know how to navigate the labyrinth of other people's minds so that you can earn your daily bread, do what you need to do. Because we need to learn how to work in this physical plane and with conscience, with, with wisdom of a serpent and the, and the innocence of a dove. You said a lot, a lot of those books, well, a lot of the New Age books, they try to, you know, they say, oh, you know, only focus on happy thoughts. But, I, you know, I think it's only, it's really don't focus on thoughts at all because a happy thought can come and then go and then a negative thought's going to come in and a happy thought's going to just erase all thought. Well, think, yeah, well, here's the thing. The Sufis have very interesting ways of analyzing this. They talk about different types of thought. Uh, there's some, well, there's the, I don't remember the Arabic that they use, but uh, katir is the, is the word for thought. There's thoughts that belong to the ego, and there are types of insights or intuitions that come from God. Some that come from your consciousness, some that come from an angel, some negative influences that come from demons. And you'll sense that though, as you awaken your consciousness. But some thought, most of the thoughts we have are ourselves. 97% of what we go through is just our own mind churning garbage in the intellect. But that's why we say, you know, in meditation, stop thinking. Don't force your mind to not think, but just observe your mind. And as it's doing its thing, it's going to exhaust itself. Like a person talking to a wall. It's like someone who is, your mind, the mind is like that. It just talks and talks and talks and talks. It doesn't stop. So the thing is, just the thing is, don't repress it, don't push it, but you strive against it by comprehending it. That's the meaning of the jihad, holy war. Doesn't mean to repress your mind or be violent, but in a state of equanimity and dispassion, you learn to see the root causes of your defects and look at them and see them where it's coming from. And then, as you comprehend more and more, the mind settles of its own. Yeah, through my own experience, I can say this: if you just take that drive out to nature. You'll see your thoughts go plummet. Like it is amazing. Like if I went to, you know, a friend's cottage in, in, in Wisconsin, and it was just like, wow, where did all my thoughts go? It's just like. And when you're out in nature too, learn to uh, do the runic exercises as we teach. Mm-hmm. So not yoga, uh, sacred rites of rejuvenation, mantras in the open in the nature. That is how you assimilate the power of the undines, the nereids, the gnomes, the elementals. And that's how you can learn to empower your, your, your strength and strengthen yourself. So when you come back to the city, back to the abyss, you could say, you can face, you can face all, the, the, all the chaos again. Right. And that's how you wage war with Zayin. So you work on your spine. And a single people can work, awaken sparks of that Kundalini power. Sparks of Zayin, you can say. Only a husband and wife can fully develop that. Oh yeah, arguing. Yeah, and that's how you uh, are successful in battle by not fighting. So a real, you know, warrior, you could say, of a spiritual type is one who has a mind that's fully equanimity. Because when your mind is calm and you're working working with your intuition, then you can disarm. Uh, certain situations very well.
To learn more about the knowledge covered in this lecture, we invite you to study the books available through Glorian Publishing or GnosticTeachings.org. You can also view free online courses, lectures, transcriptions, and articles available at ChicagoGnosis.org. All of this is made possible by the support of listeners like you. Have you benefited from this knowledge? Help others by making a tax-deductible donation at ChicagoGnosis.org. We thank you for listening. We hope that these lectures aid you in developing your complete and divine potential. May all beings be happy. May all beings be joyful. May all beings be in peace.